My name is Kyla. Welcome to my channel where I talk about the stock market and the economy amongst other things. Welcome back to the Not Everything That You Need to Know series, a series of different primaries where I break down everything that you need to know about the stock market, the economy, and the crypto market. This is instead Kyla's talk about the week. <laughs> I'm going to talk about all the different things that happened in the stock market this week and really get into the oil markets, what happened with the jobs report, and then what the Fed is doing, whatever they're doing. As a note, I, I do have a Substack piece that is linked where I go a little bit more in depth into all of these different ideas. If you want to go ahead and hit subscribe, I will personally give you a high five once we enter into Mark Zuckerberg's metaverse. My Spotify wrapped was absolute chaos. <laughs> I was wistful, apparently. Wistful and euphoric, which definitely you know, I'm existing in both ends of the tail, which I think is important. It's about variance in our day-to-day -day life, and I like to embrace that at all times. So <laughs> let's get right into the markets. So what's the Fed doing? <laughs> what the dog doing? What the Fed doing? Oh, man. So Corals, who is <laughs> Corals, who is one of the board members of the Federal Reserve, came out the other day about this quote about the Fed. I'm going to talk about like what's going on, sort of brief overview, but just have this quote in mind as I explain it. Wait until we see the whites of their eyes. We never said that we'd let the army march over us and so the army is upon us and now we will begin to fire like quarrels he's a member of the federal reserve and he's resigning at the end of the year it's still like weird vibes my guy right now the market is a buzz with this idea of tapering hey there so it's editing kyla tapering is going to be the th things that modify central bank activities reducing their asset purchases per month and tightening is going to be something completely different than the whole new action that they implement and here it would be raising rates just as a note when i say the word taper i do mean the word tighten they're essentially sort of the same thing because both are pointing to contractionary economic policy. Just reiterate the whole question too. Essentially what's happening here is I'm applying Pascal's wager, analyzing these outcomes based on weighted expectations, that positive value of these outcomes being good versus bad. The Fed, they have to make these decisions based on inflation and maximum employment. So price stability and maximum employment. And the big question is which one is more important and which one is going to influence the decision that the Fed ultimately makes. So that's what this whole video is about. We have the Fed with these two like really, really hard things to solve and which one is more impactful to the economy, which one are they gonna weight heavier, and which one is going to influence policy in the end. Yeah, okay, bye. The Fed either going to come into the market and raise rates or stop asset purchases, essentially make economic conditions tighter, make it harder for people to get loans. It's just a big signal to the market and the economy, like, hey, chill out, you know, stop being so hot. It's rude to the rest of us. We stare in wonder at your beauty. The Fed's trying to make the market chill out and the, uh, the economy chill out a little bit. The reason that they've been having to do this is because inflation numbers have come in really hot. And so one way to tame inflation is to taper. So whether that be raising rates, stopping asset purchases, etc. Everybody's trying to figure out what the Fed is going to do. They have a meeting December 14th to December 15th, and that's when they'll their taper timeline. But at first it was like, oh, they won't raise rates until 2023. But now people are like, like, oh, they're going to raise rates in mid-July. And the earlier that they raise rates, the earlier that we could see like economic contraction, the earlier that the market has to be told to chill out, the earlier that they raise rates is also a signal for how fast and accelerated they see market growth happening right now. The Fed is like, well, we see inflation, CPI is through the freaking roof. We see jobs. I'll talk about the jobs report that hit today. We see it. People are getting hired. All right. All right. They have that dual mandate of price stability and maximum employment. If both of those are met, they're like, all right, our job here is to <laughs> make this stop. <laughs> no. Not to make it stop, but to, to cap a lid on it. The inflation going through the roof, they'd have to be like, all right, all right, everybody calm down, everybody calm down. And with job growth going through the roof, all right, everybody calm down, everybody calm down. So they're kind of trying to make that pole balance. They're not trying to have it go this way or the other way. They're just trying to make that pole balance. This is going to be weird, but 
this is kind of what I was thinking about today is all of this kind of reminds me of Pascal's wager. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so if you don't know Pascal, he was born during the 1600s and he was a philosopher and he was absolutely brilliant, a mathematician. He had this wager where essentially it was like, oh, it makes much more sense to believe in God than to not believe in God. I'm not going to be talking about religion today, but this was the idea is that in Pascal's words, God either exists or he doesn't. There is at least a 50% chance that the Christian creator God does in fact exist. Therefore, since we stand to gain eternity and thus infinity, the wise and safe choice is to live as though God does exist. If we're right, we gain everything, we go to heaven and lose nothing, we go to heaven. So if you're wrong, you lose nothing and gain nothing. So if it turns out God doesn't exist, yikes. Um, okay, whatever. You just kind of go into whatever the heck happens next. And so in his eyes, you can either go to heaven or you have nothing on either side of the being right versus wrong. There's a positive expected value from believing in God according to his wager. You should just do it. <laughs> and I'm not going to talk about religion. I'm just going to mirror this decision framework to the Fed, which sounds really absurd now that I say it out loud, but I, I think that it could be an interesting comparison because the wager is basically basically this idea of, okay, you know, it's a good idea to bet on God because the expected value of believing, so this eternal value of heaven, is going to be a lot greater than the expected value of not believing. That's what, this is Pascal's wager. This is what he describes it as. How the Fed would have their wager is that it would be a good idea to bet on tapering, implying that there is inflation and the economy is strong, than to not taper because perhaps the expected value of tapering, reeling in a way too hot economy, is greater than the expected value of not tapering just having a very, very hot economy. What can the Fed do with regards to positive expected value? Because essentially they are placing a bet here. But what's interesting about the Fed argument is it's not a linear argument like, oh, God doesn't exist versus a God does exist. Here it's like, does inflation exist? Does job growth exist? Because they have that dual mandate. Does a hot economy exist? Is the economy convoluted? Does any of it really make sense? So the Fed could choose not to taper, which might be the right choice because maybe they're tapering too early and that could catapult us into a recession. They really have to get this biological system of the market correctly. And they have that dual mandate of maximum employment, which is inclusivity in employment, making sure you have a diverse and equal labor force, and then price stability, so making sure that prices aren't super volatile. And they were really patient for job growth to catch up with inflation. I'm going to talk about the latest jobs numbers. They're getting closer to the goal of maximum employment, so we did see an increase in a diverser workforce in, in this last jobs report that was released this morning. But we can kind of play a little game here just to see how complicated the decision framework is for the Fed. There's a few different scenarios that we could have, right? The good scenario would be inflation job growth does exist and the Fed does taper. That's good. Reining in, you're saving the economy from going into maximum overdrive. That's good. You just save the economy from going into maximum overdrive mode. Heck yeah. If inflation job growth doesn't exist and the Fed doesn't taper, good too, right? Like you, you know, you didn't do something that you didn't need to do. But then there's the not so good. If inflation job growth does exist and the Fed doesn't taper, essentially that'd be like runaway prices. The economy could get real spicy real fast. Then the other not so good scenario would be if inflation job growth doesn't exist and the Fed does taper. Okay, yikes, probably recession. <laughs> Those are kind of the different things that the Fed has to balance. So they have to do a little bit of probability theory, a little bit of game theory, a little bit of economic theory in order to figure out what their decision should be. It gets into a whole game theory matrix in, tar in terms of you know payoffs. It's just a rough example. It's meant to be illustrative. They have to decide between inflation and strong jobs growth, right? So like that, that's always going to be a trade-off for them. If they taper into an environment that has inflation and has strong jobs growth, that's going to be good. They they made the right decision. That's when they're supposed to be tapering. But if they taper into an environment that has weak jobs growth and inflation, maybe that's not so good. So maybe less people can get employed because the Fed made economic conditions even tighter. It's like, dude, prices might be high, but I don't have a job. It makes everything way worse. And so it gets really tough. That's kind of like what they're 
thinking about is they have all these different variables that they have to pay attention to. The Fed has to decide, do they wait for jobs? Do they wait for inflation? Or in, inflation is being fear-mongered by absolutely everybody right now, and maybe for good reason. Maybe inflation is, is really high. You can see it like showing up in grocery stores and prices. We do have a lot of issues with supply chains and labor wage shortages, and all that's going to show up in that end price that consumers do pay. So we do have inflationary worries, I think. But then you also, is the job market recovered? And so one could also argue the payoff matrix that I made, it's not as linear as I made it out to be because the Fed has to wait jobs growth versus inflation. So they have to decide if jobs are more important than inflation numbers and they have to decide if inflation is more important than jobs numbers. Here, like just this is just illustrative, but if they decide to taper into a week's job market, which we might have, depending on what the heck this last jobs report meant, but if they decide to taper into a weak jobs market, that could be really detrimental to the economy. Negative 15 points. But, you know, maybe inf inflation does tamper back a little bit. Like, so that's a positive thing. What if they decide not to taper and we have a strong jobs market and really high inflation? Well, that could also be really detrimental to the economy. What is going to have a bigger influence on the economy? If the Fed decides to taper into a weak job market, that could derail everything. Maybe unemployment goes to like 30%, right? I don't think it'd be that dramatic, but could that be more impactful than dealing with inflation? And then flipping the script on that, could inflation be more impactful than the job market? It's kind of like a chicken and the egg problem. And there's been a lot of papers that have talked about which one is more important. Jerome Powell has come out and been like, hey, I really want to see the labor market improve before I do anything. The trade-off, right? The Fed's dual mandate is ultimately a trade-off. This is just all over complicating stuff and it's just meant to be illustrative and this is just how my brain works. But there isn't an easy answer to economic policy. So sure, like, okay, also, sure, you could go and raise rates. Sure, you could go and taper. Maybe inflation isn't going to be fixed because inflation is systemic, right? So it's the supply chain. It's the labor wage problems. It's policy. You can't just be like, all right, interest rates, there you go. But also on the flip side of that narrative, asset purchases probably aren't making the supply chain any better. There was a tweet with Joe Weisenthal and another person that had this sort of structure. I can't remember where the tweet was from. They sort of outlined raising rates isn't going to fix this, but also keeping rates low might not fix it either. Asset purchases might not fix it either. Then it's like, oh, is policy even effective? <laughs> and so let's talk about the jobs market. Because today's most recent jobs report can give us an answer to all the things that are just kind of like really wacky right now. The jobs report is composed of two key surveys, the employers, which is the payrolls and wage figures. And this today showed hiring that has slowed across industries. Households, which are the jobless and participation rates, so how people are engaging with the job market, showed employment has surged by 1.14 million people and many people came off the sidelines. So there's a big gap between what establishments are reporting versus what households are reporting. And the report was weird today because there's a pretty there's a clear gap. The unemployment rate did fall to 4.2%, which is good. That is a signal to the Fed that they probably do need to taper because we're getting closer to that pre-pandemic unemployment number of 3.5%. The numbers are just not adding up here, so we have to wait until they're revised later in the month, and then we can kind of see like which one is right. Is it the establishments who are like, who are these people? Where are they going? Or is it the households who are like, we're being hired. But if you look at self-employed numbers, they're not that much higher. Nobody, so there was actually a quote from this guy named D Danny, Danny Dan, Danny Dan, his name, wow, that's super funny. His name is like, what's that, a polygram? His name is a, a mix, an anagram. His, na his name's almost an anagram of itself, Danny Dan. But he said that's one of the weirdest reports I've ever seen. Nobody really knows what's going on. And there's a bit of a conundrum here because job growth has flatlined, the smallest gain in 2021, but households are employed more. 4.2% unemployment is solid, but the establishment survey suggests employment rose just 0.1% in November, uh, with payrolls increasing only 210,000 versus the revised 546,000 in October. But then households are like 1.1 1 
million. Here you go. It's a little bit confusing because you had a miss on headline numbers, but wage growth looks solid, unemployment numbers look solid. So the Fed has to decide. We see that job growth has flatlined, no tapering, or will they go forth and taper anyway because of inflation woes? We'll find out everything on December 14th. But quarrels coming out and, and being like the whites of their eyes. He's he's ready to battle. He's resigning, but he's ready to battle. But that's also the big other question is like, is the Fed just sick of it? Jerome Powell retired the word transitory earlier this week. Are they just like over it? They're just like, okay, you keep on saying that we don't know what we're doing. All right. We're the Federal Reserve. I don't know. Yeah, things are a little weird. But, you know, one thing that kind of makes sense is the bond market. So the bond market doesn't care about all these hypotheticals. And they're showing that the Fed is looking to taper. So the yield curve is normally upward sloping, but it's been flattening the whole week. And mostly because people are pricing in the idea that there's going to be slower economic growth, that the Fed is going to raise rates in 2022. And so you're seeing some bearish moves in the front of the curve with the two-year pricing that in. Yields, remember, are inverse to bond prices. The yields are going to go up when bond prices go down. A bearish move is going to be prices down, yields up. A bullish move is going to be prices up and yields down. Why is a flat yield curve a big deal? It means that the future looks kind of bleak. People are not as excited about the economic outlook and that comes in because the Fed is looking to taper. Traders aren't expecting inflation to remain that elevated. The bond market is pricing in hikes, also pricing in the suppression of growth because of the hikes. And also the VIX is super high right now. The volatility index is very, very high. Yeah, what the heck? This thing is at 30. What's it doing up there? That's crazy. That is essentially like a 2% move in the S&P per day. Remember, the average return of the stock market per year is 10%. The fact that there's like 2% moves per day, that's a lot. That's a lot. But you got the VIX doing its thing. You got the bond market flattening. The jobs report making zero sense. I'm here. I'm I'm here. You're here. We're here, though. <laughs> We're here together. That's all that matters. Things don't have to make sense. Uh, they just have to be things. Let's get into oil. Because oil is a physical thing, so you can't make up things. But turns out you can. <laughs> you know, my hill, if you've been on the channel, and I say it almost every video now, we cannot have green energy policy without green energy investment. We just can't. We can't. You can say all you want. Oh, we're going to switch to green. We're going to switch to green. But if you're not investing in <laughs> green energy, you're not switching to green and you can't build policy around that. And that's what's happening in the oil markets. So oil has plunged nearly 25% in just a few weeks, mostly because of the Omicron virus. Biden was really freaking out about this a few weeks ago. I, I spoke about it last week on my channel. He went into the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, which is unprecedented because he was like, gas prices are too high. OPEC isn't moving. We've got to figure this stuff out to put downward pressure on oil prices and now oil prices are just cratering and then also OPEC had their meeting this week they were supposed to meet earlier this week but they moved it back because of the virus so they're gonna raise their production to 400,000 barrels a day after not agreeing with Biden no they agree which is cool <laughs> but the thing is they can revisit this decision at any moment Russia and Saudi Arabia didn't really want to expand production but they did because of the political side of it but they can go back at any time and be like whoa just kidding everybody we don't want to expand production and for them it doesn't make sense to expand production because if they can keep a lid on production they're able to experience more price growth which is good for them because then they benefit from the upward movement in prices they'll probably change their minds especially if the virus gets worse because then demand for oil would decline if people aren't traveling as much. So that's kind of the situation with that. Then you get into the idea of spare capacity too. Russia just doesn't even have a lot of spare capacity. So even room to increase production, that's really not good either. It's kind of like, oh sure, you can promise this, but 
can you? Like, can you actually? Can you actually increase production, OPEC Plus? Because it's looking like you can't. It's looking like you're just saying things. So maybe it's just, I don't know, everything is just kind of a political show. I mean, I'm sure they can increase production in other countries, but Russia is essentially tapped out, right? And so, oh man. And for a reminder, the U.S. consumes 20 million barrels of oil per day. So the 400,000 barrels is significant, but 20 million barrels a day just in the U.S. Japan flipped, kind of like Ethereum. It's about to, it could flip Bitcoin. Japan flipped. So they used to be, you know, very green energy policy. And then they're like, hey, actually wink wink hush hush we do need to increase oil and gas investment yikes big yikes we all want green energy but we have to deal with oil we have we literally have to deal with oil before we can do anything with green energy and it's unfortunate right like i would prefer not to have internal combustion vehicles around me they're bad but we cannot have green energy policy without green energy investment we cannot have green energy policy without green energy investment we cannot have green energy policy without green energy investment all of this was after the big co p26 meeting where nothing happened of substance then japan was like oh we actually still need to have oil and gas and then the u.s obviously was like oh we still need to have oil and gas i would love to see a shift towards green energy whether that be solar and wind but then also you have this big conundrum with raw materials so copper prices lithium etc all of those are very expensive so we we just gotta get this stuff figured out obviously like i don't have a whole lot of room to talk i'm just sitting here blah blah but yes we cannot have green energy policy without green energy investment all right all right final thoughts everything is a decision matrix when you think about it what but seriously you know the economy is on a tightrope at the moment market participants are an edge they have expectations for something baked into them that's important for what actually happens because ultimately the narratives of the market participants ultimately drive the markets and so it's super important to pay attention to, to what the market is saying and in feeling how's it feeling today how are you feeling market what's going on and so then ultimately it's a wait and see game and then you got all these questions what's the fed gonna do i don't know if you've seen that tiktok what the dog gonna do what what the dog do what the dog doing? What's the Fed gonna do? What's the debt ceiling gonna do? What's the Omicron gonna do? What will OPEC Plus do? What will the yield curve do? What will supply chains do? What will energy prices do? And so we kind of circle all the way back to Pascal's wager. Oh yes, oh yes. This is truly the supreme paradox of creation. Pascal was around during a time where the world was rapidly changing, and so for him, scientific truth is being disproven every day. But the, his whole thing was like, you should take calculated risks. The probability of there being something and you benefiting from that something is high. There's a positive expected value on that bet. There are no certainties in life. All you can do is really hope for the best outcome. All you can do is just set yourself up for those positive expected value returns. Make good bets over a long period of time. Really pay attention to the potential outcomes in each situation. As Pascal says, we run heedlessly into the abyss after putting something in front of us to stop us from seeing it. That quote wasn't as inspirational as I hoped it would sound, <laughs> but but uh, yeah, the whole thing here is you got to understand the outcomes of decisions as you make them. You've got to understand where the expected value lies, especially the positive expected value, and you have to make bets based on that. That's the stock market. Thanks so much for hanging out. Thanks so much for spending time with me. I will be back. Yeah, a quick update. So I have been trying to do videos every day, but I was like, eh, I don't know about this. Just because it is a little bit of a lift, one person team. I am going to switch to three days a week. As always, uh, feel free to drop any questions, comments, feedback below. Uh, this is a Substack, so go subscribe at kyla.substack.com. I'm on TikTok. I'm on Instagram. I'm never going to DM you ever. So if you get, if there's like a fake Kyla account, 
ignore them they're not real all right thanks so much for hanging out rats it has been fun it has been good and i'm gonna go all right bye everybody